So how much, how much do you think the XFL would cost? Well, um, they were paying what, like each guy, like $50,000 or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think the quarterbacks maybe got closer to six figures, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just salary. You've also got to talk trademarks and, and whatever else the XFL owns with their intellectual property. Um, I would guess I read something that said that Vince McMahon tried to pull out enough money from his wrestling stock to fund the XFL for three years. And that was something like $360 million, I think was the number. Um, But that was just to operate the XFL. So if we're actually going to buy it, what we need to do, you and I, is to spin this podcast up a little bit you know, yep. really, really crank up the the heat on Sports Illustrated. Let them yes. know that this is the best thing that's going and that they really, they ran into a buzzsaw that is us when they hired Send us. Send us straight to the top. Straight to the top. We got to get, you got to get the money flowing. And then from that point, I would say if we call Vince up, because we could probably get his number. We work for the Sports Illustrated now. Yeah, we're part of the media now. <laughs> yeah, so we could probably call him up and just be like, look, Vince, we'll throw you a lifeline. Easy $100 million. That gets you off the hook. You, you can go ahead and just transfer the paperwork over to us. We'll have our guys call your guys and lickety split. Now, I'm not suggesting we commit any crimes here, especially considering what I do for a living. <laughs> but I remember reading, I've said this before, a great book by Jeff Perlman, I think, called Football for a Buck about the USFL. Yeah. And in the 80s, man, it was easy to scam people. I'm telling you, like half the owners in the X, or the USFL like didn't have any money at all. And they literally were like, there was a chapter in that book about how they drafted a guy or they thought they drafted a guy who was like this really highly rated tackle out of like Michigan or something like that. And it wasn't that guy. It was a guy who like prank called them and like sent them faxes. I'm not even joking. Like literally like half the league, including Donald Trump were just like total con artists, right? Like people who had no money at all. So I'm wondering if maybe like, you know, now, of course, that league lasted like uh, uh, two years and then it folded. Sure. But I wonder if we could maybe now we're going to talk about in the mailbag. We're going to talk about Tiger King. Yeah. Here's a guy on Tiger King, which I know you have not seen. Not His yet. name's Jeff Lowe. That guy basically same kind of deal. He like rolls not having a job and being a con artist into like acquiring a zoo filled with tigers, which are surprisingly cheap. But I guess what I'm saying is there's a way where there's a will. There's a way. So we could also take advantage of the fact that Vince would be very distracted right now. He has some WWE drama going on. There's COVID drama and all that. I I think we could maybe scam him much easier today than we could if all of his attention was focused on the XFL and we were trying to buy it. Right now, it's a distraction for him. Do you think we could present ourselves as a couple of old men Ah. down in Texas? Maybe see if we could fill him up if he were so inclined? Well, now you just sound like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that with a little uh, little magic, we could convince Vince to uh, go ahead and give us that XFL. Well, my stimulus check hit today. I uh, have already reinvested that into a new computer and uh, even then a little bit off the top of that. But, you know, if we if we pooled our stimulus checks, now we have talked on the podcast before about how you don't pay taxes. So, so do you get a stimulus <laughs> check? I, I would like to, I didn't pay one year of taxes. It is not that I do not pay taxes. That is a gross misrepresentation of the situation. But uh, I did have to paper file my 2018 taxes, which are now filed. So they do not have my direct deposit information from 2018. I did e-file 2019. 
I probably will get my check in 2024, I'm guessing. So you're saying 2024, we're buying the XFL. Welcome in, everyone, to episode nine of It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. I am Taylor. And we are back with just another bang-up episode. We hope you all enjoyed. I'm going to take a moment here before we get into the meat of this episode to ask you to rate and review us, to subscribe to our podcast. I have heard, Taylor, from listening to other podcasts that that is important. Yeah, the call to action is something that um, everyone is obsessed with but us. We pretty much just trust that you're going to listen to this and enjoy the hell out of it and go tell all your friends. But maybe maybe you need a little encouragement, and that's what we're here for. Listen, I did check our reviews the other day, and nobody has reviewed this podcast since we became official with Sports Illustrated. So what's up with that? Like, go rate and review our podcast. It's great. We know you love it. So just go throw us a bone, whatever. I don't know why it's important, but everybody seems to think that that's great. So a little preview of what we got on the tap for this episode. We do have some Chiefs news. The draft, as of the time that we're recording this, we're recording this on 415, what would have been tax day. Uh, Fortunately, not until July now, I think. Um, For those of us that diligently pay our taxes on the show. We do have a little bit that's of news. That's 50% of us. That's a pretty good chunk. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's, a good, it's a good percentage for sure. Uh, 50-50. It's a 50-50 proposition. It's a <laughs> it's yes a, or no scenario. It's a no scenario. <laughs> uh, so we got a little news. We'll talk news. Uh, the draft is a week from tomorrow as of the day that we're recording this. And Taylor and I have been talking. We've been trying to bring you one episode a week. Next week, we're going to try to give you a little, uh, a little special uh, draft reaction episode. If the Chiefs do pick, they will be picking on – Thursday night, uh, probably around 10.30 Chiefs time, 30-second pick in the first round. If they trade up, if they trade down, we'll be there. We'll try to do a little little reaction to that. Uh, and then we also have a mailbag this week. Um, we'll actually – I guess we'll do the mailbag last. I'm getting ahead of myself. We have a recap. We've been doing our series, our 2019 review. This week we're talking Chiefs at Broncos week seven. And then we're going to close it out with our first official Sports Illustrated, It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, mailbag so we got a lot of great reader submissions there we're excited to bring you that uh taylor you want to talk news 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 the uh the chiefs are continuing to run it back as we've been talking about all off season they just go ahead and keep talking to the guys that are free agents and uh giving them one-year deals to stay with the champs and that continued with bashad breeland the cornerback who was uh had a pick in the super bowl was a big, big part of that secondary and is a member of a position group that had some depth questions, not necessarily um, a, a weakness, but for sure something that uh, fans wanted to see improved in the draft. And the Chiefs went and they they signed Breland. So now they had Breland and they have Sherman and they have Watkins and Robinson all coming back on one-year deals. Yeah, a guy who obviously signed uh, two years ago in 2018, came into training camp. Basically, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they took him out to dinner, wined and dined him, and then he didn't sign with us. He took off. He ended up signing with Green Bay. 
came back um, after a brief stint. He signed midway through the year in 2018, came in last year, 2019, signed uh, with the Chiefs for kind of a prove-it deal. And then unfortunately, due to COVID and everything being shut down, it, it seems like he's almost back on another prove-it deal, one year, $4.5 million. Shout out to Brett Beach and his team of capologists who turned $177 in cap space into you know, keeping Sammy Watkins, signing Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, adding DeAndre Washington, signing Bashad Breeland. I don't know how he does it, but the important thing is we got Bashad Brack. Yeah, and uh, it's a big, big stability for the secondary. It means that going into the draft, I was pretty concerned about corner, and and now I pretty much am just kind of best player available at this point. Uh, there's really no one position group that I think is – severely lacking obviously they're Super Bowl champs and they're bringing back 21 of their 22 starters so they're they're in great shape there but uh it's just it's really comforting to see that no one's going to need to get up to speed no one's going to need to you know learn the guys and learn the playbook and and have to zoom meeting into their offensive meetings or anything like that like it's just going to be that if there's any football to be played this year the Chiefs are going to be more prepared than anyone to play it yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that you brought that up. That's kind of a nice transition. We'll talk about the, the draft a little bit more in our mailbag. Um, but obviously, there's been a lot of talk uh, the last couple of weeks about a virtual draft. It's coming up. I mean, it's happening in eight days from the time of recording. By the time you listen to this, you know, it'll be less than a week away, probably. Uh, a lot of talk about, you know, what that's going to look like. Um, I guess in in sort of related news, the NFL actually came out with a virtual offseason program the other day. And to your point, I mean, you, you know, it almost came across as a joke, but literally it's all going to be Zoom meetings of offensive yeah, was, and defensive insults. I mean, it, that that is literally what's going to happen. And so, you know, imagine being like a rookie head coach or, or having to turn over half your defense, even a new first-time coordinator, you know, having to meet and teach all of your players virtually. I mean, I know it's something that obviously like all of our teachers, shout out to them, are kind of having to learn how to teach on the fly. But these are NFL coaches in some cases that have been doing this a certain way for 20 or 30 years. And the chiefs have the luxury as we've talked about often on the show uh, to not have to, to really worry about any of that. Um, just being able to run it back. They've got the same playbook. I'm sure they will spend that time, which every other NFL team for the most part will be spending, you know, trying to figure out just how to make it work, how to teach the basics the Chiefs are going to be spending that time adding wrinkles. They're going to be adding plays yeah. on the offense. They're going to be adding twists on the defense, you know, refining what worked, what didn't work last year. And that is just a huge, huge advantage. Well, and when you think about it's got to be just as hard to teach in this method as it is to learn in this method. It's hard for everybody. It's not just that it's hard to coach, but the players get it or vice versa. Everyone is going to go into this thing having never in their lives prepared for a season like this. And they are athletes are nothing if not creatures of habit and they have the same off season workouts and they have the same drills and that even when they're with the same team, they still have all these preparations that they do the same that are going to be completely thrown for a loop now. And the more familiarity that they all have with each other and with the playbook and with the coaches and, and everything is just going to give them such a leg up on the competition. I wouldn't be surprised if the chiefs come out like gangbusters and look basically unstoppable from day one, not only because they will be prepared 
to defend their title, but because the other teams are going to be so much more behind than normal that it's going to make the Chiefs look better than they might have if they have been playing up to their competition like normal. Well, and not only that, I, I mean – people have different learning styles too, right? Like it's not even, it's not even just adapting to the new technology, but like people learn in different ways. And, you know, whether that's visually, whether that's, you know, verbally, whether that's acting things out, which they won't have the luxury of doing, but, you know, talking about bringing in veterans who have been in the locker room, the chief's coaching staff is familiar with all of these guys and they know how these guys like to learn. And while they might not have the luxury of being able to spend some literal hands-on time with these guys. They certainly do have a feel for, you know, this, okay, this is what, you know, this is the kind of, of learning that Tyron needs to do, or this is the kind of learning that Chris Jones needs to do. Like this is how these players assimilate information and, and being able to have that knowledge base with your own players and that relationship already between your players and your coaching staff. I imagine that is going to be a huge advantage as well. That's a great point. And can you imagine trying to learn football virtually just in, no, in no, big I, picture, I, I, not even, you know, the small stuff, you know, if you're teaching terminology and if you're doing that so, sort of like brain part of it, I get, you could do that over some virtual meetings, but like, man, I just, I can't believe they're about to go try and learn how to play a contact sport with teammates through their iPads. It just doesn't, I, I can't imagine being in that position, and fortunately, um, I'm not, and I don't think the Chiefs are really going to have to worry about it too much either. Uh, one thing they did have to worry about was an injury scare last year. Oof. Sick transition, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I was working on that all day. No. Uh, how, first of all, before we even get into the details of the game, let's talk about the emotion of watching Patrick Mahomes be carried off the field while we were in mile high stadium. Oof. So, so for those of you who don't know, who might be new listeners to the podcast, I am Kansas city born and raised, but I recently moved to Colorado just this past year. And so Taylor uh, came out for this game. It was Thursday night. He took some time off work. We had a great uh, weekend plan. We were going to do some miniature golfing. We were going to go take in this game at mile high we go into the stadium, which for me, I speak, um, you, you'll have to fill us in, but this is the first time I have been to an NFL stadium besides Arrowhead. Sure. So this was a, a cool experience for us getting to go to, you know, a different stadium, uh, sort of experience a different pregame atmosphere. And it was a perfect day. I mean, like it mm. was 70 degrees, no humidity, you know, the sun is setting over the Rockies, really a nice stadium. I mean, you know, fuck the Broncos, but really a, a nice place to take in a game. And, you know, we obviously were on top of the world. We walked in there in our Pat jerseys. We're swaggering around. You, you want to talk about championship swagger, man. When we walked into that stadium, we had it. <laughs> we had it in spades, yeah. Uh, it was a great, great night for uh, the beginning of it, absolutely. We were extremely excited to be in an opposing stadium. I had also only been to an Arrowhead, or a playoff game. Sorry. I had only been to an NFL game in Arrowhead, and – you know, it's the Broncos, so it's not like we just picked a random uh, away game to go to. We picked, you know, the, the big rival. And, right. Um, they were struggling. They came into the game two and four. We were f- four and two. Now, they had actually – they had been they had won two in a row, and we had lost two in a row. They started Correct. the year out 0 oh and 4. We started the year out 4 and 0. Oh. The teams are going in opposite directions, but if there's, you know, one thing that can make you feel better, it's Pat Mahomes taking the field. And despite the last two losses to – the Texans and the Colts at home, 
you and I were feeling extremely good about this game. Uh, it's really hard not to feel confident in this team, but um, we were on top of the world and oh, their pregame celebrations and all that, it's just nothing compared to Arrowhead. I, not, I wanted to yeah. make sure that we pointed that out, that they, you know, they kind of, oh, go Broncos. I mean, it's just, it's not at all, it doesn't even feel like the same league that the Chiefs are in. No, it doesn't. I mean, we talked about, you know, a different pregame atmosphere. You know, obviously going to Arrowhead can be a very stressful experience. Um, uh, You and I have talked all the time about how much anxiety that produced, and neither of us are very anxious people as a general rule. But going to Arrowhead and parking uh, before a Chiefs game is like Thunderdome. And this was not like that at all. I mean, there were barely, you know, it's a downtown stadium and they do have public transportation there. Shout out to Denver, Colorado for having public transportation. It's a cool thing. Uh, But, you know, we got there pretty early. There was nobody really tailgating. Now I get it. Look, look, this is the Broncos, right? This isn't the Chiefs, but people will tailgate at Arrowhead for a 14 team. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Now, despite all of that, despite the the lack of ambiance, I mean, this was a game that the Broncos, for some crazy reason, came into with some confidence. And you mentioned they started off 0-4, but they had one two straight. We had lost two straight. And so if they won this game, they're only a game back in the division, right? And they're thinking, yeah. you know, we got a little bit of momentum going. And to be fair, as I said, you said we came into this game very confident, but these Thursday night road games can Ugh. be very difficult. The Chiefs' last two losses to the Raiders, which, in fact, I think, uh, aside from that home game against the Chargers, which was also on Thursday night, mm-hmm. uh, their last three division losses were all on Thursday night games. And so those games can just be really funky. Uh, it does seem to, in some ways, take away a little bit of an advantage that the Chiefs have in their coaching and their preparation. Uh, but we came out into this game – confident and then the Broncos took the ball on the first drive and marched it right down the field and scored a touchdown and I got to tell you it's no arrowhead but that place was hopping yeah yeah it was they I do think they also kind of felt that their backs were against the wall in the season because if they drop that game to two and five the Chiefs moved to five and two they know that they're not catching us so it, it right. was a do or die game for them already in week seven and uh, they were they were pretty fired up, and the Chiefs gifted them two third down conversions via penalty on the opening drive, on the way to a one yard uh, Royce Freeman touchdown, and then uh, hilariously the Chiefs were offsides on the extra point, so the Broncos decide, all right, it's the Chiefs, we got to score as many points as we can. They gave us some extra yards on the extra point. We're gonna go for two. And we stuff them, and it's six to nothing. Broncos instead of seven. And those six points would be the only points the Broncos would score in this game. I, since we were at the stadium, I I wasn't you know doing my usual game routine of you know kind of going through Twitter between every scoring drive. I imagined that it was a mess because <laughs> this is the Broncos. I mean, it's not like it was yeah. the Texans with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, you know, tearing us up down the field. This was the Denver Broncos, the two and four Denver Broncos. Joe and Flacco. The Joe Flacco led Denver Broncos. Yes. It was it was a it was a nasty, ugly opening drive, but the Chiefs did respond, came right back down, scored a touchdown. 21-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes to McCole Hardman, a nice little bobble and catch by McCole. So continuing his little streak of, you know, making one or two nice plays a game. And from there on out, the defense really stepped up in a big way. Yeah, they were huge. They came out and they sacked Joe Flacco eight times this game. 
which was just a very, very welcome sign for all that uh, money and resources that the Chiefs poured into Frank Clark and and then to finally have a defensive performance that was, you know, worth talking about. Um, it was just now I, I keep kind of trying to dance around the subject because it's it hurts my soul to talk about. Yes. Um, but I guess I just I can't I can't talk about this game anymore without talking about what happened in the second quarter. Uh, I mean, we were at the stadium and obviously I love watching football live, but it is hard sometimes to know exactly what's going on. So the Chiefs were down in Broncos territory. They had fourth and one at the Denver five and they decided to go for it, which was certainly welcome. You know, we are yeah, big, proponents, good call. big proponents of going for it in that situation. And it's a quarterback sneak. And so from where we were sitting in the upper, upper deck, you could tell that we got the first down. And then, so we're celebrating the first down. Cause you know, you, you convert it. You're <laughs> you've now got fourth and goal from the, the three. We're going to punch first that in, goal, yeah. right? You know, yeah. Yeah, first and goal from the, the three, we're going to punch that in. And then it took a minute to realize that somebody was hurt. Hmm. And then it took a few, few more beats to realize, oh my God, our season is over. Oh, was your heart beating? Cause mine was not. Uh, I mean, just even going back to that moment and reliving it, like I'm getting yeah. chills and I'm getting <laughs> such anxiety yeah, about it. Me like, too. It honestly was the worst feeling I've ever felt watching football. And as Chiefs fans, we've seen some shit. Yeah. I mean, there have been more some, than most. There have been some heartbreaking moments. You and I together personally witnessed <laughs> yeah. a disastrous home playoff Tennessee. loss to the Tennessee Titans, <laughs> which involved Marcus Mariota catching his own touchdown pass. I mean, we've seen some horrible, horrible things. But man, this was it, it literally was went from okay, well, we're about to score on the Broncos. This game's gonna be a romp. We're gonna be five and two and we're gonna cruise to wow, what if what if he's out for the year? And that that's what you have to assume when you see a guy down on the field like that. Yeah, knee injury to a quarterback. How often do they come back from those? I mean, and the other thing is that there was so much pressure riding on this season. Yes. After last year's heartbreaking coin flip, disappointing loss in the AFC Championship game, the Chiefs brought a ton of talent back, and the expectation was to win the Super Bowl. It really yes. was. And it, this was not a Cinderella underdog story that the Chiefs went and won the Super Bowl. They were a damn good football team, and they yes. knew it. And the division was there for the taking. Everything was set up. All they had to do was go out there and play games and stay healthy. And up until now, they hadn't even been able to stay healthy outside of Pat Mahomes. They had lost <laughs> right. you know, guys left and right pretty much every game, but they kept persevering because they kept having the best player in football. And then – with. I mean, I'm just getting I, I, the same exact feeling that you're talking about. I basically am like distracted talking about this because of how horrible we felt. And I still feel about seeing my favorite athlete of all time down on the ground, thinking that we might not be able to see him play for a calendar year. It was yeah. devastating. And you and I had that conversation literally in real time, this exact conversation that we're having now yeah. for our listeners about I mean, all of it, like, this is, this is the season. This yes. is, this is, this is the season we were supposed to win the Super Bowl. And now we're not going to win the Super Bowl because mm. our quarterback just blew out his knee uh, and quarterback sneak. And, and after a season where we had come so close to going to the Super Bowl for the first time in 49 at the time, 49 <laughs> years. And 
and then the realization that you know even a year from now who knows you know with who a knee is injury, gonna be who yeah. is he gonna be a guy that obviously he has a ton of gifts we saw you know even through the first five or six games of that season how how dangerous he could be even when he can't run and you know even on on with some limited mobility because of all the, the injuries he was having with his ankle thanks cam irving mm-hmm. but that obviously is part of what makes him so special as a player is his ability to create and to get outside the pocket and just make these crazy throws off platform. And with a knee injury, you just never know. No. And he said, you know, in his victory speech, the, my knee was on the side of my leg. <laughs> and it, it was horrible. It was horrible. Uh, it was. And yeah, the, the kneecap was on the side and they blessed the, the physical therapy team and all of everybody, Ugh. the trainers that came out and popped his knee back into place on the spot. And they said, certainly saved some recovery time there by the quick actions and how Pat didn't move his knee at all. And then when they got up after they popped it back in place, he thought he was going over to the sideline to like get a breather and then go back. In the game. <laughs> like he literally thought everything was going to be fine. And you know, everybody on Twitter was trying to figure out how long it would be. This was the sports story of the week, month, whatever it was when it happened. And uh, you know, meanwhile on the field, I'm, looking at the game and can't even focus. I mean, it was a Daryl Williams run and a Damon Williams run and then an incomplete pass and we kicked a field goal. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even concentrate on that at all. All I was doing was basically hyperventilating in the stands, trying to think about what I was going to do for the rest of the year. And so you and I had a pretty, you know, pretty serious talk about, do we even stay at this game? Yeah. And I, I don't regret it at all. I know the Chiefs won 30-6, to six and there was that awesome play to uh, Tyreek Hill that we listened to on the car radio because mm-hmm. we left the game. We left, and I will tell you, I, we, we had some people, I tweeted, I did tweet about this, and we had some people support this decision, and we had some people, you know, naysay this decision. I'll tell you, I, I'm a very dedicated sports fan, but I know that you and I, Taylor, have left plenty of games early. Um, thankfully none of the ones that mattered. I, I was at the, as you were as well, the 2014 wildcard game, you know, that the, the Royals had to come back. I'd and, never and, leave a playoff game. And, and the people, well, exactly. And we had the same conversation at the Houston, <laughs> well, at the yeah. Houston game. Okay. Well, maybe we, I would leave a playoff game early if it was the Houston situation plus one more touchdown, which but. is the exact conversation that we had, <laughs> but we suck it out. Yeah. This game, the, the, the injury to Pat Mahomes sucked all of the joy out of that stadium because for the chiefs fans that were there and there were a lot of chiefs fans there Mm -hmm. for the chiefs fans that were there. It was exactly what we're going through reliving right now. It was the worst feeling you can possibly feel. And for the Broncos fans, it was even worse. Not only did you hurt the best player in the NFL, (laughs) which, you know, I mean, I get, you know, you're not supposed to cheer for injuries, but like, okay, that's good for the Broncos objectively, but like, now that's going to be the story of this game. It's going to be the story of the season. If he's out for the year, people are going to remember the Broncos for ruining Pat Mahomes' season and mm-hmm. ruining the Chiefs' season, not for anything that they were going to do. And then the Chiefs beat their asses. <laughs> Without Pat Mahomes. They were getting their asses beat by Matt Moore yeah. and the defense that coming into that game had not been very good. And so they were also – pretty upset so i there was just a lot of negative energy i'm not like uh you know uh stones and uh you know energy chi kind of guy 
But I will tell you, there are some places where the collective stress is so great that you actually can feel it. It's palpable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one is law school law libraries around exam time. <laughs> nice. And another is this football stadium on this Thursday night. And so we took off. Uh, it ended up being a, a great game in the second half. Obviously Matt Moore showed a little, he showed basically that one play to Tyree kill and that was it. But for a guy that had been, you know, uh, coaching high school football three months before that, not too bad, not too yeah. bad. Not too bad at all. And an older guy that had never really done much in his prime. So, I mean, to be thrown in, the middle of a game that had a ton of not only implications for the division, for the team, but a ton of emotion. I mean, all those guys were rattled. They, they said so. I mean, they, you, you can't see your leader go down like that and not like we were as fans be thinking about it in every single play, but he rallied the troops. Um, huge shout out to Raglan and Hitchens that came in on the very next defensive snap and forced a Joe, Fum- Joe Flacco sack strip fumble recovery for a touchdown that really, yes. you know, just kind of, they they basically were saying with that play, like, we got you. Don't worry. Like, you can take care of yourselves over there on the offense. We haven't stepped up all year. We got this one. And, boy, the defense brought the fire um, the way we hadn't seen it all year. And I know we were scrambling for positives to take out of this game in a 30-6 to road division victory with eight sacks and all that stuff. But technically nine sacks because the, the Broncos <laughs> did run a fake punt. <laughs> the dumbest fake punt until the wild Which, until the Yeah. Yeah. Game. I, I really enjoyed reliving this game because I'd completely forgotten about this play, Yeah, but the Broncos, this was before the drive before the Mahomes injury, they had fourth and four from their own 45 <laughs> and they ran a horrible fake punt that was just so blatantly obvious. It was, it was objectively yes. a worse play than the Houston. It was, play. I the, mean, the like Houston play wasn't a bad play. It just backfired. We had, you know, Sorensen's just too smart for that. You know, yeah. he sniffed it out. This was a bad, like we in the stands in the upper deck were like, Oh, wait, <laughs> they're, oh, they're faking they, it. Are they running a fake punt here? Yeah. So Colby Wadman also took a sack for seven yards from Armani Watts. Yeah. Uh, set the Chiefs up with a, a short field. So that was kind of a fun little situation there. Nine total sacks, technically eight of Joe Flacco, the starter. Uh, just an absolute beatdown. I did want to mention, uh, you mentioned uh, Hitchens and Raglan stepping up with the fumble six. I would be remiss if I didn't call out one of my favorite moments when you're watching, you know, the season recaps and uh, those episodes of the franchise, mm-hmm. the shot of Mahomes walking off the field. And this is, this is like sports movie stuff that people make up and, you know, write about, but yeah. he said, as he's walking off the field, he says, go win the game, mm-hmm. go win the game. That's mm-hmm. what he said when he's walking off the field. It's not like, you know, he's not crying. He's not, it's just go, go, go win the game. And they did leaders lead, man, leaders lead. And that kid, just has such a knack for that and yeah, gives me chills that every time I watch it if he wasn't the best player in the world physically he would be close to it just based on his I mean I I don't want to you know go into stuff that you can't measure and all that sure, but his, his moxie and his leadership and all the stuff that we always crack on old people for saying about quarterbacks that sucked but it just you can tell that the guys have gravitated to him since day one and sure part of that is his ridiculous physical abilities but part of it is definitely his personality and his leadership skills and things that just come with him being prepared for this role since he was a kid and it's just it's so impressive but 
he did have to uh, take the, you know, the long agonizing walk to the locker room to see if his season was over. And I'm sure after he said, go win the game, I'm sure he was freaking out internally as everyone would be. And fortunately the chiefs did go win the game. Uh, We were driving back just basically in shock and disbelief. You and I were of what we just, I just drove eight hours to Denver and had this, you know, this was Thursday night and I was supposed to be there all weekend. Right. And, and it was just like, if we had lost the game, I would have just been pissed. I would have just been like, damn chiefs. Like, yeah, I come out here to watch you guys play and you blow one or whatever. You don't show up. I mean that I can deal with that because I've dealt with that my whole life. Right. But this was something I've never, ever dealt with, with the chiefs was having this much emotion and stock into a player and this much expectation and just to have it all ripped away i'm still i'm kind of thunderstruck right now just talking about it you know i mean it it is really a i'm glad that we're getting to talk about it here in april of therapy session in april and it's okay because we know it had a happy ending yeah but even now i mean if it had been, you know, a couple of inches the other way, or if his knee was constructed a different way, or, you know, (laughs) if he'd gotten hit just slightly differently, we'd be reading stories about how his rehab is going right now. Right. And imagine, God, imagine how hard that would be with everything that's going on with COVID and coronavirus. And like, we don't even know if there's going to be a 2020 football season. Imagine if our 2019 season had ended in Denver with Patrick Mahomes on the field clutching his knee. Like imagine if, if then, if the worst case scenario happens, which we hope it won't, and I don't think that it will, but imagine that we didn't have a 2020 NFL season and we had to wait like two years, basically almost three years after D Ford to like get another (laughs) shot at the Super Bowl. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible. We we gotta we gotta stop. We gotta stop talking about this. This is this is too much. Okay, deep. You unzip me. You unzip me. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and uh, put that game in the rearview mirror. Chiefs ended up winning the Super Bowl despite losing their MVP quarterback to a knee injury for three games. So pretty like, cool. Pretty you cool. know. Nice to be a Chiefs fan. Sure is. It's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, bro. <laughs> so we got a mailbag. You want to jump into that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to kick it off, or or, sure. or should I? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. Uh, first question came from James McGregor at Mac truck 2087. Shout out to James. Always a good, uh, mailbag contributor. Yeah. And I want to give him a special shout out, yes. by the way. He gave us our draft idea a couple of weeks ago and the quarterback, the all-time quarterback, draft. the all-time quarterback draft, which was a, a big hit and then gave us the idea to draft Pat plays very valuable contribution from him. And I did not shout him out then. So I am doing it now, James. Thank you very much for that suggestion. And thank you for this question as well. Yes, we appreciate you listening. Uh, always nice to hear fans. And you just got a Sports Illustrated podcast shout out. So good for you. Hell yeah, good for you. <laughs> uh, his question was, so there was the re-airing of the 2019 Masters with Tiger Woods and Jim Nance discussing it. Based on that, if you guys could pick one Chiefs game ever to have replayed and one player slash coach from that game discussing with a commentator as it's being played, what are your picks? So I... <laughs> A lot of people here would expect an answer of Super Bowl 54 with Pat and Andy and Romo. Yeah, that, and, you is know, that the, not what you're going to pick? Nah, nah. I swear to God, if I ever see video of that 1986 Chiefs-Chargers game, <laughs> I am going to lose my mind. So I'm going to pick that game, and I'm going to say with uh, Don Coriel and Dan Fouts commentating on it because let me just – I can't, I can't get over this game. I, I wish I could, but I can't. The Chargers had 522 yards of offense to the Chiefs 212. Um, 
The Chiefs won 42-41 in San Diego. The Chargers were down eight, but they scored a late touchdown and had to kick the extra point because there were no two-point conversions <laughs> yet. It was the most Chargers game of all time. I've mentioned it before. I will continue to mention it. I have reached out to Reddit. I have emailed email the guy that has old NFL games on DVD to see if he can find this game and send me the DVD. I have to watch it. I have to. That's the game I picked. I didn't pick Super Bowl 54. So I know I threw you for a loop, James, there, but uh, it's, it's on my mind. This was your question, and I did not prepare an answer, but I'm going to answer this real quick anyway. Um, sure. I'm going to give the 2019 – and now I'm going to go with some variation, maybe a game yet to be played, of uh, Chiefs-Patriots with Belichick commentating and Mahomes oh, commentating. That would be that would be – I mean, I just am – I can't wait for Belichick's post-football career. Yeah. Uh, I just – I love – I mean, obviously the dude has, like, one of the greatest football minds of all time. I just really want to hear him – honestly, like, I want to hear him just talk about Mahomes for an hour. Like, this sure. is what we were doing to try and stop him. Sure. This is what he did to totally screw us over. <laughs> it, it would be great. So I've got a question here from Zach the Layman Stan at the Layman's Terms. If you'd mock up the AFC West QB lineup as sunny characters, who would they be? Remember, this is a Chiefs podcast, but it is Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. That is a reference to our favorite TV show. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If you don't watch that show, you're not going to get this. Go watch here, it, Bozos. Go watch it, Bozos, you jabronis. Uh, here's my lineup. So I got four quarterbacks here, starting with Patrick Mahomes. That was a hard one because there are so few objectively good <laughs> characters on Sunny. I mean, yeah. good people. Yeah. And he's a good person and also highly competent. So I had to go with a one-off character, but one that is uh, a real banger. That is Country Mac in the episode Mac Day. Uh, Country Mac is a real hero. The only flaw, as with our quarterback, is that sometimes he forgets to wear his helmet. (laughs) Give him my helmet. Give him my helmet. (laughs) You know what's badass, Taylor? Being alive. Ah. Unfortunately, our quarterback is alive. R.I.P. Country Mac. (laughs) So Tyrod Taylor... (laughs) Tyrod Taylor, I dug deep for this one from the episode Mac and Charlie Die. Tyrod Taylor is not even a real character. He's uh, he's a guy who is pretending to be quarterback. He's like a quarterback Mm stand-in. And so I literally went with a stand-in. In that episode, Charlie and Mac fake their own death. And Frank then constructs a Charlie doll out of one of his t-shirts and Frank, sir, what do you think Frank did, did I see you bang that thing <laughs> so that's Tyrod Taylor he's the uh, he's the mannequin the the stand-in that the Los Angeles front office has presented to their fans to make them think they have a real quarterback Drew Locke Drew Locke is rickety cricket oh. so right now he's on the arc he's rickety cricket as we first meet him in the gang sports a miracle Matthew he's young Mara. Matt, Matty Mara, young, clean cut, man of the cloth, handsome guy. You know, he's got everything kind of put together, right? A lot of promise. Mm-hmm. And by the time his rookie contract <laughs> is over, I'm telling you, he is going to be, he is going to be a cricket's life cricket. He's going to have the gash in his neck. He's going to have one eye because the Chiefs are going to mess him up. And so finally we have Derek Carr. And this was – not an easy choice because unlike with Patrick Mahomes, there are a lot of horrible characters on It's Always Sunny, comedically horrible, but uh, a comedically horrible in the same way that Derek Carr, frankly, is comedically horrible in the way that he, you know, uh, tricks Raiders fans into thinking that he's a good quarterback and then he's actually terrible. I had to go with 
the garbage pail cousin, aka Gail the Snail, <laughs> yeah. because Derek Carr is the garbage pail QB. Yeah. He's always trying to hang with the young, cool, actually good QBs, but he ha- can't hang. Also, they are both terrible with their eye makeup. Derek Carr is Gail the Snail. You don't want to salt him, but you got to salt him. That's Derek Carr. I have a feeling John Gruden's going to be salting Derek Carr by the end of this season. He's going to be salting him probably before the end of the season. Uh, gonna, yes. Then we're going to have to do Marcus Mariota as a sunny character. Well, you know, that would be a welcome day for us just because we hate Derek Carr so much. Uh, good, good comps there for everybody. Um, all three of those other bozos are just so screwed. It's so fun. Um Okay, so my next question was from Ryan David Edwards at by Ryan Edwards, longtime follower. Hi, Ryan. Uh, he said, "What is your favorite memory of the Chiefs outside of winning the Super Bowl?" Of course. So there are obviously in these days there are a lot to choose from. Uh, the Chiefs for me have been a big part of my life since I can remember. Uh, I was going back for like you know Dante Hall's four straight games with a return touchdown in 2003. That was amazing. I remember thinking about that every day. Uh, winning in Foxborough on opening night in 2017 with Alex Smith. That was unforgettable. That was a night that I just can't believe that we could go into the defending champs in their house and beat them. Uh, the day we drafted Pat, that's going to go down as an all-timer for me. That was exhilarating. We had our quarterback of the future. Um, I would consider the day that we won the AFC against the Titans to be rolled up with the outside of winning the Super Bowl criteria, yeah. just because that's all the same experience. So instead of just saying the entire Pat Mahomes era, I'm going to go with a classic Chiefs memory from when I was a boy. So the year was 1997. The venue was Arrowhead Stadium. It's a great venue. The opponent was John Elway's Broncos. Ooh, okay. But no, not that game, not the playoff game in 97 against the Broncos. This is the one that took place in November of the following, of the following November in 97. The 7-3 Chiefs hosting the 9-1 Broncos at home. The Chiefs were nursing an eight-point lead in the third quarter. But Elway and his pesky Broncos kept driving down the field and kicking field goals to take a one-point lead with a minute left. Bozo Bozo should have been scoring touchdowns because it came back to bite him this time. So going into the final drive of this game with a minute remaining, Rich Gannon, Chiefs starting quarterback, had passed for a grand total of 57 yards in the swirling snow at Arrowhead. It was coming down, and he just hadn't gotten anything going all day, but it was still a one-point game. And on this drive with a minute left, he goes 18 yards to Marcus Allen, 12 to Andre Risen. They run once and call timeout, and then 10 more to Andre Risen to set up a 54-yarder in the blistering snow. At, and P. Stoyanovich calls this the kick of his life. It just barely squeaked through the upright as the gun goes off. Chiefs win the game. Everybody's freaking out. It was absolutely I just remember that was like, I can still see the goalpost camera tracking the ball as it's coming in and it sneaks in by the camera and the chiefs win the game. My whole family's freaking out. I was 10 years old and I was hooked for life. You know, what's amazing about that is that I did not watch a lot of football growing up, but I actually, I, I can hear in my head. I think Mitch, it would have been Mitch, right? Doing the call sure. on that. It would have. Mitch's call of Pete Stajanovic hitting the game winning field goal. Right. Like I, I mean, yeah. And that was, like I said, I, I can't remember very much football from the nineties. I watched sure. some football, but you know, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a great choice. I can't, can't disagree with that at all. Thanks. 
we've got one from Arrowhead First at Arrowhead First, another longtime follower. Who is the ideal, still possible Monday Night Football crew? So hmm. uh, there's been a lot of of talk. You know, ESPN trying to recruit Peyton Manning, trying to trade for Al Michaels, which is yeah. super weird. Yeah. Uh, I I say don't overthink it. I mean, Peyton Manning seems like he'd be great. Uh, he obviously had a lot of success as a media pitch man and he was very funny on SNL when he mm-hmm. was a player, but he's never been a broadcaster before. I would say a guy like Dan Orlovsky would be, would be great. Uh, he's done a lot of good work for ESPN already kind of breaking down film and everything like that. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I don't think they have to, to go for a big personality, right? Like get guys who are good at their job. And I think that he would be, uh, and then maybe somebody like Lewis Riddick, um, I'm going to mention Lewis Riddick again later on in response to another question. Love me some Lewis Riddick, a guy who is clearly, you know, football, there are some very smart people that have played football, (laughs) but not everybody that's played football is very smart. I think Lewis Riddick is very bright. He's obviously very plugged in, which not everybody is. Like, I honestly, like, do I think Peyton Manning still probably watches quite a bit of football? Yeah. But do I think he's as plugged into what's going on in the NFL in 2020 as Lewis Riddick? Probably not. Sure. So I would say, you know, somebody like that, um, both guys who actually already work for ESPN, but I think that would be, uh, that would be kind of a nice little tag team. <laughs> and Orlovsky backed up Peyton Manning in at the Colts. So uh, yeah, it's funny that well, you, you know, pick him you here in the broadcast booth over some, I, he never, probably would have imagined anyone picking him over Peyton Manning for anything when he no. was on the Colts roster. But, no, probably uh, not. And honestly, Peyton probably, if, if Peyton really wanted to do it, I think he would already have the job. Uh, I don't think he really wants to do it. And I think like, honestly, I, I mean, Peyton Manning is obviously incredibly smart. And I think with a little bit of coaching and mm-hmm. experience, I think he would be an amazing broadcaster. I just think he, he wants to do something else. So yeah, that's, that's my fair. choice. Uh, did you see the report about Drew Brees saying that he's going to yeah. join NBC when he's done retiring and he signed a two year contract with the saints this year. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like maybe it's going to be a one year contract yeah. is right. maybe what's going to happen. And that'll be interesting too. Um, we talked about, uh, I know we've mentioned it on the show that uh, Drew Brees was part of a, like a, a Super Bowl watch thing. Yeah. With yeah, uh, Montana, Joe Montana and, and Brett Favre. And yeah. who else was there? There was somebody else too. Um, I'm not going to remember. I thought it was just those three. Maybe it, maybe it was. And then I the think host, it was. Whoever that was. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Drew Brees had some some good commentary on that. I mean, it was a it was not a great setup. They didn't no. have like a, an overlay of the game. So no. you couldn't really even tell what they were reacting to. But I will say the times that I've heard Drew Brees break stuff down, he seems like a, a pretty good, pretty sharp guy. So, you know, I mean, could be good. Sure, sure. Uh, Jesse Bates, the Chiefs fan 24, asked to asked us to settle the Priest-Holmes-Jamal Charles debate. Oh, like, boy. Like you did your John Elway curb stomping. So, Here we go. You know, shout out to uh, Jesse for giving the John Elway curb stomping the love it deserved. Yeah, um, this is like we can't go a whole broadcast without talking about John Elway. We haven't so far. This we is episode not. nine, and we also have the side episode, which is just the Elway roast. So of our ten things that we've posted, all ten of them have mentioned John Elway, but he deserves to be uh, trash-talked at every opportunity. So. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to the John Elway roast, you should go listen to that. It is, if I do say so myself, exceptional material. So <laughs> settle it for us, Taylor. Settle it. Uh, Put this one away. I, I'm extremely tired of this discussion. Um, Are we going to have it anyway? No, I'll I'll say this. I think that Jamal Charles was the more gifted athlete 
and runner and had better open field moves than Priest Holmes. Priest had more power. He was a little bit bigger. He had great instincts. And it can't go without being said that he ran behind one of the best offensive lines in football history. That yes. is what I think of the two players. I, you can't really compare them. Um, I love them both a lot. I'm eternally grateful for both of their time that they spent in Chiefs uniforms. They were formative parts of my Chiefs fandom. And I just think that it's sad that everyone started pitting them against each other. They both have their own reasons that they were special. And although I would rather have Jamal Charles on a 2020 NFL roster, that all being said, I love me some Priest Holmes, and it drains my soul to be talking about why I don't want to pick Priest for this. Totally fair. And I understand the, uh, the exhaustion the fatigue, uh, yeah. but but we'll we'll put that one to bed. They're both great. Let's not argue about which Chiefs was better. Let's you know put down John Elway, whatever whatever we got to yeah, do. Yeah, if you want to talk Priest Holmes versus Terrell Davis, I'm your guy. Oh, but we like... should talk, we should do that next episode. I, <laughs> yeah. I actually already have some material pulled for that. So of course, Terrell uh, Davis sucked. Yeah, he did suck, and he absolutely should not be in the Hall of Fame. And if you want to talk about undeserving Hall of Famers and whether or not Jamal should be in the Hall of Fame, or Priest for that matter, over Terrell Davis, they absolutely <laughs> should be. So maybe we'll next just time. have to blow teaser. that up next time. We'll, we'll, we'll roast Terrell Davis, I don't know, whatever. A little teaser. Uh, we've got one here from Brian Westhues at West Zeus. SI for real. Yes, Brian, for real. We are, we are hosted by SI now. Okay, who has more ta- uh, passing yards next season, Indy or Tampa? more wins and are either more than KC. Well, we'll just nip that last part of the mud right away. <laughs> nah. Neither Indy nor Tampa are going to pass for more yards, <laughs> nor, nor are they going to win more games than us here in Kansas City, the Chiefs. Uh, I will uh, say I think both of these teams is an interesting question because Tampa led the NFL in passing yards last year, but a lot of that was because Jameis was turning the ball over, and obviously – when you throw a pick six, you get the ball right back. You know, mm-hmm. if you drive down 80 yards and then throw a, a pick six, then you mm-hmm. get the ball right back and get to drive another 80 yards and throw another pick six. So, uh, and, and when you're behind two scores, because you, just, because you just threw two pick sixes, you're, you're going to be throwing. You're going to be airing it out. Obviously Tom Brady's not going to be doing that. And, and I don't think either of these teams are going to run offenses that uh, lend themselves to, like, they're not going to be trying to, Pass for 500 yards every game. I think they're going to try and play ball control. We saw it with the Colts and the Patriots when we played them this year, you know, limit possessions, uh, limit turnovers, that kind of thing. I think because Indy probably has a little bit better defense, although I think Tampa's defense is going to be kind of sneaky good uh, when they have a quarterback who isn't turning the ball over constantly 30 times uh, a season. Uh, And because I think Tampa has a little bit better receiving core, I'm going to say Tampa has more, receiving or more passing yards um as far as wins i think they both could be mm, around 10 11 wins i think mm-hmm. um you know indy plays in a weaker division so they probably end up with more wins so sure. there you go uh tampa has the far superior wide receiver court oh yeah i mean it's I mean, not even it's not even close but evans uh, and godwin are both top five receivers in the nfl that yeah, that is the I mean, most ridiculous yeah. one-two combo anybody has in my opinion so there you go, Brian. Those are my official yeah, predictions. There. I like that. Uh, we we have to enable Peter Yadrich because what would a mailbag question be without an, a question from Peter at Peter Wygolf? You know, every successful podcast in the history of all time has that guy who writes yeah. in the show every week and gives super us fan. these weird, weird questions. And Pete, 
We love you. Thank you yes. for writing in. Uh, Pete says, if you were an electron and we're assuming Heisenberg is right, would you prefer for someone else to know exactly your position or velocity and why? And how would this power of withholding one piece of information or the other most be most beneficial in everyday life? So um, I don't know what drugs exactly Peter's on, but I <laughs> am going to direct message him after this and find out. Um, if I were an electron, I would for sure be trying to pull off some wicked heists, which means that I would not want the cops, AKA the protons, to know my exact location. I would give them my velocity and all that would tell them is how fast I'm running away from them with the loot. Uh, and this would be most beneficial to all the neutron honeys that I'm trying to sleep with since I'd have more cash on hand with which to spoil them. So uh, that is my nonsensical answer to the nonsensical question. I did not understand anything that you just said. Yeah, you weren't supposed to. Uh, even though I do have, you know, I have a liberal arts background, so I know a little bit about science. I would say I know more about science than your average attorney, um, especially defense attorney. <laughs> anyway, I have a <laughs> Schopenhauer him. quote, German philosopher. I just want to add this. It inspired me. Spinoza says that if a stone, which has been projected through the air, had consciousness, it would believe that it was moving of its own free will. I add this only, that the stone would be right. Dang. Yeah, let that let that simmer for a minute. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Woo. Next question. Thanks, Pete. That was that was delightful. It was <laughs> delightfully weird, as always. Uh I've got one from Praise B Mahomes at Praise B Mahomes. What is your wildest, craziest prediction for the 2020 season? Assuming it happens. I hate to put that little caveat there on the end. Uh I will tell you, Praise B Mahomes, Taylor and I are not really hot take merchants. Uh, but I did try and grind one out for you. I, I went to check out Vegas team totals to see like what qualifies as a hot take, you know, football related. Um, that was a good idea. I, yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I just was looking at the teams that, you know, are projected or Vegas thinks is going to make the playoffs highest uh, over unders. I think the Packers might miss the playoffs. They have a, like a, an over, I think it's set at 10 and a half. I think the Packers might not be that good. Um, and I think the Cardinals might be pretty good. They're actually at six and a half. I'm thinking I might waste some money on that. I think the Cardinals might be pretty surprising. And, you know, we do have seven playoff teams this year. They might be a sneaky, a sneaky wildcard team. Uh, as far as, uh, predictions for maybe like player accomplishments, I tried to think of like what would qualify as a hot take for Pat to do, uh, because obviously he, he can do anything. I decided to go with, I think he might have an eight touchdown game in him this year. Uh, the I NFL record that. is seven. I think it's been done maybe two times by Peyton Manning and maybe one other guy. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, but I think Pat has an eight touchdown game in him. I think, uh, you know, if, if things line up exactly right, he could just drop bombs all day. I think we're going to see it at the very least. Uh, this is a less hot take, but, you know, with Pat Mahomes' next six-touchdown game, which will be in his third season if he does it this year, he will tie the all-time NFL record for most six-touchdown games in his third season. It's currently held by Peyton Manning, who has three. Patrick Mahomes has two. So we're just one game, one, one, one six-touchdown game behind him. And obviously, if he throws eight, there you go. He sets two records at once. That'd be crazy. Uh, there have been eight instances of seven touchdowns. Wow, really? Eight? Yeah, so uh, Sid Luckman in 43, Adrian oh, Burke Luckman, in 54, sure. George Blanda in 61. George Blanda is who I was thinking of. Oh, Y.A. Tittle in 62. And I was thinking of Y.A. Tittle because yeah. George Blanda and Y.A. Tittle are the same guy to me. 
Yeah, that's fair. Same Joe Cap in 69. Mm-hmm. Nice. Peyton Manning in 13. Nick Foles also in 13. Uh, two I forgot months about later. Nick Foles. That's right. And Drew Brees in 2015 in that 52 49 Yes, out. against Eli. Yeah, yeah the Giants where, game. Yeah, where Eli, I think, threw for six. So that was uh, that was pretty crazy. Good. Well, thank push. you for the on the spot fact check. I yeah, still maintain welcome. that he will throw eight and it will be amazing. It will. Uh, and if you think about it, he's done four and a quarter. So, yeah, like, I know. I mean, he could throw 16, really. It's and definitely going to be a game where it, it would have to probably be a game like the Rams game where he's having to throw <laughs> the whole game. I remember yeah. very vividly, and you and I have talked about this game several times, the Aaron Rodgers game where he threw six in the first half yep. against the Bears and yep. then basically just took yeah. the second half off. Yep. Um, I mean, I think it could be a game like that. And I honestly think now that he's won the Super Bowl, we've talked about this before too. Just mess around. I, I think we could see him push Andy to just – bury people a couple of times just for fun and he yeah. has it in him he does it very rarely but let's not forget that that dom tari poe jump pass <laughs> touchdown <laughs> came in the fourth quarter when we were blowing the out the broncos yeah, yeah, and we were already up by a ton and it had no consequences whatsoever and we still pulled out a jump pass touchdown in the end zone and humiliated them so andy does have it in him the stress uh, is off andy he yeah, better, he well, better exactly, go out there. exactly that's what I mean, i'm saying i mean yeah he might as well I mean, that's his record too. You know, if his quarterback throws for eight touchdowns, if his well, quarterback throws for sixty touchdowns in a season, you know, I mean, yeah, think about he's, the he's company the that he's trying to vault himself into the all-time discussion yes, now. He's exactly. got the ring, so yep. like that was the thing that was preventing people from saying he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Now that the, now that he's legitimized, he might as well go out there and try and set every record. Yep. Like, they, I, yeah, I I agree. I think that's his next Super Bowl is just to shatter records with Pat and uh, I'm, I'm here for that. Obviously uh, the expendable artist chief at Corio four. If you put together an all-time chiefs roster, who would be your core five on offense and core five on defense? Just give me 10 names as opposed to 22 or 53, which means that if I name them here, it doesn't mean that other people aren't included. These are just going to be some important names that I would make sure are on the squad. So quarterback was really tough for me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so Pat, obviously, uh, the best wide receiver in Chiefs history is Tyreek Hill. So he would be the wide receiver one. The best running back in Chiefs history is Jamal Charles. <laughs> so uh, Jamal would be my running back. No comment there. And then I would want to make sure that Shields and Rofe, uh, Will Shields and Willie Rofe were both included on that line because they were the absolute engines behind that 2003 team. No question about it. Uh, so that was my core five on offense. Mahomes, Tyreek, Jamal, Will Shields, Willie Rowe. Dirty. Yeah, I mean, they'd be unstoppable, of course. And just and like you said, just name five, which means you could still have your, you know, Gonzalez's and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, your Gonzalez, your Travis Kelsey. Yeah, your, right. Two tight end your, sets would be nasty. Yeah, I mean, you're two of the top ten tight ends of all time. You know, whatever. It's cool. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, defense, I picked both Derek's, Derek Thomas and Derek Johnson. Uh they were just both obviously no no discussion needed there uh bobby bell was insane and then on the line chris jones and neil smith i didn't really pick anybody in the secondary but that was just my four five uh the lines and the linebackers would be redonkulous what's amazing about uh the offense especially obviously is that you know three of those guys say three right didn't you say yeah pat 
Pat, Tyreek, Jamal, Shields, and Rose. Yeah, sure. Okay, so Jamal, but you could have gone with Travis. Sure. I mean, just we're we're living in. Oh, the, uh, absolutely, could have been Travis. We're Kelsey. living in yeah, the yeah. we're living in the golden years right now, man. Yeah, yeah, we've got all timers on the Chiefs right now. They just want to ring, so I mean, they get it's all beautiful. the all the accolades they can possibly handle. I've got one here from Chiefs Rule 2019, which they absolutely they do. do. <laughs> uh, his his tagline, that's his at, his tagline is Mahomes is better than your QB. So, you know, that's, that's also yes. factually correct. Uh, draft a new center or re-sign Austin Ryder. Uh, I'm very partial to Austin Ryder because he and I share a first name. Uh, he's fine. He's fine. Uh, I, I'm all for keeping him. I think the Chiefs are definitely going to draft an offensive lineman. I was taking a look at uh, their visits, their virtual visits they've done. They have done by far their most visits with offensive line as a position group. And then right behind that is safety and cornerback. If you roll safety and cornerback together and just call them DBs, it's about one third of their visits have gone to offensive linemen, about one third have gone to defensive backs. And then the other third have kind of gone to, you know, Punters. various assorted other positions. We've not visited with a punter or a kicker because we're not idiots. We're not going to yeah. burn those visits right. on positions that don't matter. Plus we got them locked up. So right. uh, I think the Chiefs are definitely going to draft an, an offensive lineman this year, probably an interior offensive lineman. think they might invest some UDFA undrafted free agent capital into that. I just don't know if this is the year that you want to deliberately let an offensive lineman walk, especially when you've already let Wisniewski go and there's a, a good chance that LVT might be gone. Uh, I say that because offensive line is a position that typically does not come in and produce a ton of success right away. And this obviously is a run it back year. Uh, you, you do not know if you're going to have training camp you probably are not going to have OTAs the thing that makes offensive lines good and what makes the Chiefs offensive line good is continuity and reps and I think the position you're in with Austin Ryder is could could you upgrade from him yeah you probably could but is it a wise decision at this point in time I don't think it is I I'm perfectly fine keeping him around for another year or two and uh, rolling that draft capital into maybe a developmental lineman. See, uh, see who you can scam off of Bill O'Brien, you know, back in August and let a guy <laughs> sit for a year, a la Martinez Rankin or whatever you want to do there. But uh, that's a good question. Chiefs rule 2019. We appreciate that. Poor Bill O'Brien. He just, he's never going to hear the end of it. And he oh, should just, just wait until the next question. I guess nice. I got a banger for Bill O'Brien. <laughs> so uh, Jordan Scarin at MRJ1128 asks, Newsom, Colquitt, or D. Reynolds? Who would you be signing to be punter? Uh, I know very little about Tyler Newsom as his skills towards punting go. I know a lot about both D. Reynolds and Dustin Colquitt. Colquitt's definitely proven to be a good NFL punter, uh, but he's getting old. He's expensive. D. uses her stork-like legs as pendulums, and on the <laughs> bottoms of those pendulums, feet like wrecking balls. What a so, scouting uh, report. Yeah, well, you know, that was just uh, just off the top of my head. I don't know where I came up with that, but uh, yeah, uh, I would sign D Reynolds in a heartbeat. She could smoke that ball mm -hmm. one time and then one time. her entire body would shatter like glass, but that's how it goes. I've got a question here from championship swagger at Brandon four, two, two using tiger King characters, cross them for coach GM and owners in the NFL. And then he <laughs> said, actually I'll make it easier. Any current member of the NFL. So the question is essentially find tiger King comps, for people in the NFL. And I, Taylor, I know that you yeah. somehow have not watched Tiger King. 
yep. which is crazy. You definitely need to watch it so that you can appreciate these dope references that I'm about to drop. All right. So I'm going to start off with Doc Antle. I don't want to get too much into the show, but he is the guy with the long white hair. He basically runs a cult uh, where he recruits young women to have sex with and pays them nothing to live on a compound where he also raises a bunch of tigers. Uh he is Bill Belichick, <laughs> uh, definitely a very weird dude who basically runs a cult, but you can't argue with his success. He is like one of the only characters in the show, despite being extremely shady, uh, that like Bill Belichick, also an extremely shady individual. Doc Antle somehow makes it through the entire series without ending up in prison, unlike Joe Exotic, our lead character. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, there was a viral thing going around. He, he was on stage with Britney Spears back when she was a thing. Uh, so despite the fact that he's probably a sex pervert uh, who definitely probably euthanizes baby tigers, Guy Jeez. appears to be running a very successful business. Uh, Taylor, you just need to watch the show, man. This, this is yeah. just the tip of the iceberg. All right, so uh, I'm going to go with uh, – I got a comp here for Travis, Ma uh, Travis Mal Maldonado. Excuse me. That, for those of you who don't remember off the top of your head, Travis is Joe's second husband, the young one, the hot one. No spoilers because Taylor has not watched it, but let's just say he pulls an extremely boneheaded error that has extremely dire consequences for him personally. So that's my Bill O'Brien comp. And yeah, for it. those of you who have seen the show, yikes. Uh, okay, so Joe Exotic. Uh, this is a very easy comp for me. So Joe Exotic is the title character, Taylor. He uh -huh. is... Uh, he I know a, a little bit about Joe Exotic. He, he, is a gay, he is a gay polygamist tiger wrangler from Oklahoma uh, who also at one point runs for governor of Oklahoma. He's now in prison for trying to have someone murdered. Uh, that can only be one NFL personality, and that is Antonio Brown. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Uh, there is, there is no, no chance that if you recast Tiger, Tiger King with characters from the NFL – AB would absolutely play Joe Exotic. It would not surprise me if AB owned a tiger. It would not surprise me if AB put out a hit on yeah. somebody uh, in the NFL. Uh, he he only kind of counts because I understand he's not signed right now. Doesn't seem very likely that's going to happen in the future. Joe Exotic, Antonio Brown, locking it in. And then finally, this is one of my favorite comps here. We got Carol Baskin. You probably have heard the name, Taylor. Yes. She is the woman who allegedly, maybe possibly, fed her first husband to, to the tigers. tigers. Yeah. She is Roger Goodell. <laughs> they okay, are both on. pretty much universally hated individuals yeah. who have skeletons in their closets, but who have managed to wield a considerable amount of power and influence, despite the fact that they are. And, and listen, like I said, I made the, the comp already with Belichick and his shadiness. Every character from Tiger King is extremely shady. Carol Baskin. Oof. There is a lot of shadiness there. And Roger Shade Goodell. Queen. I mean, like, honestly, it would not surprise me if Roger Goodell, A, had someone fed to the Tigers, B, covered for somebody in the NFL who fed somebody to the Tigers. It, it, whatever it is, Roger Goodell, he's got all kinds of skeletons in his closet. I'm really going to miss him getting booed next week. <laughs> you think but his he kids is, will boom from his basement? Probably. If he, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they will. Absolutely, they will. Uh, Carol Baskin, Roger Goodell, there's your Tiger King comps. Appreciate that question. That was a fun one. Love it. That was great. I uh, had another good one from Expendable Artist Chief. He said, who are your top five quarterbacks of the Chiefs franchise not named Patrick Mahomes or Len Dawson? Hmm, okay. So clearly those are your one and two. So he basically yeah, right. wants to know three through seven. Um, I thought three was a pretty easy pick for me, which is Joe Montana. Sure. Um, needs no introduction. 
after him, I, I really appreciate not only what Alex Smith did when Andy was brought here, but then what he did to transition Pat Mahomes to the NFL. I think his contributions off the field were as important as his contributions on the field. And he was a pretty damn good quarterback on the field. He wasn't ever elite, but um, everyone knows the Alex Smith story. Always a consummate professional. Love that guy. Uh, number three was Trent Green. Uh, kind of similar quarterback to Alex, just kind of a game manager. Uh, he would drop dimes every now and then, but for sure was relying heavily on his running game and his tight ends. Um, didn't really throw to wide receivers much, much like Alex Smith. Kind Trent of the, Green was like the bridge quarterback, but then there was no bridge. <laughs> there was no other side, so they just had to keep building the bridge longer yeah, and longer. Yeah, they just yeah. kept had to keep building the bridge until we got, got to Pat. It was like they, they built half of a bridge, and then it sort of just, you know, ended into a giant abyss. And I that, always, that was the Brody Croyle era. I'm sure he's going to be next on your list, though, right? <laughs> I always appreciated Trent Green for the crazy story of he was going to be the general of the greatest show on turf. And then he blows out his knee and Kurt Warner comes in. And when Dick Vermeil leaves, he brings him with him to Kansas city. And it was kind of a redemption story for Trent. Um, he could have in an alternate reality, he could very well have not blown his knee out and been a quarterback on a very prolific offense. They still would have had Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk and Dick Vermeil and everybody. So I just always thought that that was, um, an interesting twist to his career. Sure. Uh, it gets hard after that. It gets really hard for the chiefs because great quarterbacks, we are not known for um, growing up. I always kind of had a love hate relationship with Elvis Gerbach. Um, <laughs> he was a complete Neanderthal, but also could be pretty good quarterback. He was another San Francisco cast off that the chiefs picked up after the Niners were done with him. And he never really, he kind of, it was like Brett Favre if he wasn't as good as Brett Favre and was also worse than Brett Favre. Like it was just kind of a, he didn't have the highs and he had much lower lows than Brett, but he kind of would just go nuts sometimes. Um, But I liked him. He was the Chiefs quarterback when I was a kid and he won some big games for us when that was, um, when he was here. So he was my number four. And my number five is Chiefs legend quarterback Tyler Thigpen. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. He, I mean, Thigbone was – he came in at a time where the Chiefs lost Damon Heward and they lost Matt Castle to injury. I believe – no, no, it was Damon Heward and maybe Trent. I always forget who the – because he was our quarterback three before the start of the year. And then he gets thrust into this ridiculous pistol offense that they just kind of – they were just kind of winging it. You could tell every offensive meeting that year was just like, I don't know, guys, what do you think we should do? We have no weapons on offense. We have no, you know, quarterback. We're just going to kind of go out there and run some crazy plays. And he caught that long touchdown and big bone just always balled out even when the chiefs didn't. And he was my number five. You know, what is hilarious. We did not plan this. Like I didn't know what your answer was going to be, but apropos of absolutely nothing other than it was Tyler Thigpen's birthday the other day. I literally have a note written here on my desk. Uh, I looked up that season, the 2008 chiefs before Tyler Thigpen became the quarterback. They were averaging 12.5 points per game. Sure. After Tyler Thigpen, 21.6, which was only half a point off of the NFL average that year, 22 points a game for the average offense. We almost had an average offense with Tyler Thigpen, and at the time, 
that seemed like a huge accomplishment. Dang. When he roasted Rondé Barber for that yeah. touchdown, yeah. I still think about it all the time. It was great. Oh, it was Brody Croyle. It was Damon Heward and Brody Croyle. Yeah, it was two say, quarterbacks that went down. Green, but anyway, yeah, it was hard it, to you know that that's a dark time. But, Figgy uh, was a bright, shining star <laughs> in a dark night of Jesus history. He was a shining star. Let's see. What have we got here? So I've got one here from Don Bull at Don Bull 32. It's 2021. You are Eric Bieniemy. You get a head coaching gig. Who do you poach from the chief staff to be coordinators? No Kafka because of his promotion offense coordinator. Nice. So this is actually interesting because um, when I went to do a little research to answer this question, I actually don't think Andy's guys are allowed to poach from Andy. Um, when Doug Peterson left for Philly, he actually kept seven of Chip Kelly's assistant coaches and didn't really bring in a lot of Andy's guys. Uh, when Matt Nagy left for Chicago, he brought in Brad Childress, but Brad Childress had already left the chiefs. Like he said, yeah. he was retiring yeah. and then he came out of retirement to go coach Mitch Trubisky. Spread game coordinator. And, Isn't that what yeah, he was with us? Yeah. Yes, he was. And he retired from his role as spread game coordinator for, you know, future MVP Patrick Mahomes to go be, <laughs> Some kind of advisor to Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. So great career move, Chile. Uh, really strong, really strong choice. I think that Andy is so open about wanting his assistants to get head coaching jobs, and he's so open about promoting them, and like that is what he's known for. I think there's almost like an unspoken thing there where handshake deal. When yeah, when you get your shot, you go. I will absolutely promote you and let you go and let you be a head coach in the league. But you're not allowed to come back and steal my guys because they're going to be head coaches. I, I get to coach them up and then they get to have the same opportunity that you had. So it's pretty smart. Yeah, it is. And I think, I mean, obviously like Andy has paid it forward so many times and finally, you know, has gotten his opportunity to win the Super Bowl. Um, so I was going to say, I, if I were Eric Bieniemy, I would be looking for chiefs guys, Andy guys who are not currently employed by the chiefs. Uh, maybe a guy like Lewis Riddick, nice. who I, I mentioned earlier is a possible fit for a broadcaster. I think that's a guy who's very smart, who knows a lot about the NFL. Uh, maybe a former Andy Reid guy who wants to get into coaching, like maybe somebody like Derek Johnson, who sure. obviously uh, spent some time with Andy Reid, not originally an Andy Reid guy, but but played for him and played in Kansas City and obviously would have spent some time on the opposite side um, from Eric Bieniemy. And then, you know, uh, you've got options like, for instance, Matt Nagy, unfortunately, might not have a head coaching job for very long. He might Man. not survive this season. No so joke. you might, you might be able to get Nags to come in to be your OC. I don't know. I, I mean, that's where I would go with it, but it was interesting. I appreciate that question because I really had not thought about before, you know, kind of this relationship that Andy has with his, his former coordinators. And I really think uh, when the enemy leaves, I think we're going to see him pick more Colorado guys, more former Andy guys, as opposed to poaching guys from our current coaching staff. I like Which it. is great. Yep, good for him. Yep, yep, that's a really good setup for Andy. It, it keeps his, it keeps guys wanting to come to play or to coach for him because they yeah. know that he will get them their opportunities, and at the same time, it protects him from just getting cannibalized every year by yeah. people that leave and take all this stuff. And yeah, I think that's really smart. If that's the case, obviously that's conjecture, but um, I would imagine that that is a pretty realistic situation. Uh, Parker Paget at Parker Paget says, what are you binging during stay at home other than Tiger King, which I am not, or Ozark, which I for sure watched all of Ozark's great. If you haven't watched Ozark, highly recommended. Probably my favorite show on TV right now, maybe for, uh, it's up there. So lately I have been binge playing the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, put in 
solid 50 hours or so in like five days on that. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, I rewatched recently all three seasons of Stranger Things. Big fan of that show. Hadn't seen it's it. A good one. Yeah, I hadn't seen it since they originally dropped them all on Netflix, so went back through them and had a lot of fun there. Uh, I recently started Curb Your Enthusiasm for the very first time. I had caught bits and pieces of it throughout the years, but I was always a huge Seinfeld guy and for some reason never really started in the Curb, but I'm a couple episodes in and am having a blast with it so far. Super funny. I still keep up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine when it's new episodes, which it was or which it still is right now. And I always try and fit in an always sunny episode or two when I can manage it. Of course, those are all great picks. I did watch Tiger King. It was excellent. I just started community, which I had not watched before. I've been enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, And I've been trying to get back on my gaming. You know, I got a new, new laptop and playing some Starcraft, you know, but uh, trying to watch my, trying to watch my stories as well. You know, I got (laughs) stories. Yeah. Um, I've got a question here from Nathan Keck at Nathan Keck three paying CMC elite money is okay because he's really just a slot wide receiver that runs the ball, right? Ducks instantly. Well, Nathan, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong there because actually CMC is not a slot wide receiver. Uh, Bill Barnwell, who eh, eh, I can take him or leave him, but sure. he did tweet the other day that CMC has 441 receiving yards on throws five plus yards downfield over the past two seasons, which Whenever somebody tweets a stat like that, I'm like, man, show your math. Tell me where I can get this information because that is a really cool and interesting stat. And I would love to just be able to dig into whatever database these media types. Now that we're part of the football cognoscenti, uh, as Dan Hansis likes to say, we need access to these super secret special databases. Uh, Anyway, CMC over the past two seasons on throws more than five yards downfield. So like actual routes. Uh, he's 134th in the league in receiving yards. So he's not really a slot receiver. He's still a running back that's just really good at getting the ball on screens and checkdowns, and he's obviously very good with the ball in his hands. He's not really being used as a wide receiver. Uh, I still think it's a better signing than Zeke, uh, who really isn't much of a factor in the passing game at all. Um, he certainly does get some routes downfield and, and, and is good at those. I mean, like he's a very good player. If you're going to pay a running back at all, <laughs> he's which, the one to pay, <laughs> which obviously is the question. Um, he's probably a pretty good bet. He's still very, very young. He doesn't have a lot of wear on him. I think the argument is that since they paid him the money, they really need to use him more in the passing game. Um, on a related note, I just wanted as an aside to say that uh, the Chiefs should use Tyreek Hill out of the backfield more, is my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Warren Sharp, who we love, said recently a little bit tongue-in-cheek that Tyreek Hill is the best running back of all time. <laughs> we'll go through the stats on that, but Tyreek Hill's rushing efficiency is insane. He actually was a running back before he came to the NFL. Um, he kind of made that transition towards the end of his college career and then became, obviously, a Pro Bowl wide receiver. You obviously could not give Tyreek, like, 200 carries, uh, but – I do think that that's maybe one of the directions that NFL offices could go as they kind of evolve is more not necessarily lining running backs up as a wide receiver, but lining lining wide receivers up like Tyree Kill as a running back. It was funny when he was doing the Madden tournament, that's what he was doing with, uh, with baby reek, you know, uh, <laughs> Tariq, Tariq Cohen, who we kept calling reek, Tyreek. A, yeah. who I know is also officially, I mean, he, he is a running back. Um, but honestly, I mean, you know, Tyreek could could line up at the backfield more. He's extremely dangerous as a runner. We haven't really seen it since his rookie year. Um, but that would be fun. Anyway, CMC, I, I don't know. It's probably not going to age great, but 
it is what it is. I, what it, mega it, deals in the NFL ever do age great? Yeah, that's true. Well, um, the one that we're about to give Pat, yeah. that yeah. one's going to age well. Real, anyway, real well. What you that's, got? Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, Chad Van Dam, whose name I enjoy quite a bit, at Chad Van Dam 11, says, will this be the first time Veach uses a first-round pick as the Chiefs GM? Now, I'm taking this question as, do you think the Chiefs will trade back or not? I'm assuming Chad does know that, you know, based on this question, that the Chiefs haven't had a first-round pick in each of Veach's first two drafts. So instead of him saying, yeah, either way. Uh, I well, they had a, one until right before the draft last year. Correct. They, 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 got haven't, they haven't used one in each of Veach's first two drafts. I have a hard time predicting these types of things. I think they're very fluid. I think Veach has plans in place to draft someone at 32 and to trade both probably back more likely than up because they don't really have a lot of bullets to trade up and you don't really do that when you're the Super Bowl champ. Uh, my gut says someone will be there at 32 that the Chiefs like enough to pick them. But, you know, if they have five guys on their list that all get overdrafted and they're all off the board by the time the Chiefs come around at 32 and they have someone waiting at the wings that's going to take that pick off their hand. I mean, you know, they're going to be flexible. And if they want to trade back, I'm all for it because uh, that means that they have a plan and I trust Feech, um, you know, with what he does. So I'm going to say that I don't feel like they will, but it's just kind of a gut feeling. I got a Chad Van Dam question as well. Uh, so he got a two for a little double dip. Uh, he asks how many players with how many players are returning from the Super Bowl winning roster. Do you think we go BPA best player available in the draft? Yeah, I think we do. I think, um, I think the chiefs do have some holes on the roster. I mean, we've talked about cornerback linebacker, interior offensive line. They certainly could get a wide receiver. They could get a running back, but I think it's really hard to say that they need a cornerback or that they need a linebacker because they're bringing back all the same players pretty much that they won the Super Bowl with. So like, were our linebackers bad last year? Yeah, they were bad, but we won the Super Bowl. Were our cornerbacks a little bit, uh, you know, did they benefit from having pretty good health all year and really great safety play behind them? Yeah, they did, but we won the Super Bowl. Uh, Was the interior offensive line a total disaster at times last year? Yes, but we won the Super Bowl. So obviously the team that we're bringing back is good enough to win the Super Bowl. I think it's really hard to say that the Chiefs have a need because even though there are some position groups that definitely could be improved for sure, uh, I mean, it's hard to say that you have needs when you're bringing back all the guys that you just won the Super Bowl with. So I do think uh, Chiefs absolutely are in great shape to go best player available. I really do think that is what they will do, whether that means trading up, trading back, or staying put at 32. I think uh, I think that's got to be the game plan. Uh, my last question is from Lloyd Vance 86 and he says – do either of you think you could throw a football further than Dustin Colquitt? Uh, no chance. I have no idea how far Colquitt can throw, but if he's ever stepped foot inside of a weight room, he can throw further than I can. So I'm just going to nip that one in the bud right there. Let me give you one off the cuff. This is not the question, but when I saw this come into the mailbag, this is what I was going to ask. If you had to challenge any member mm. of the Chiefs to any kind of football-related <laughs> athletic competition, you get a pick. Who would it be? What do you think you would have the best chance of winning at? It would have to be something finesse-related, something where you have to – doesn't have anything to do with strength or speed. Hit a target. <laughs> exactly. No endurance, no strength, no speed, <laughs> uh, no jumping, no running. <laughs> Basically nothing. I, I would just have to be able to place a football really accurately and hope that I just just – blackout and so like for example throwing a ball into a trash can 
I think there's a chance that I could do that better from a certain distance from 20 yards or so than a couple chiefs. Maybe. Yeah, sure. Um, That's fair. So I would probably say throw a football into a large trash can 20 yards away with me and Colin Saunders. Okay. All right. Well, Colin Saunders played a lot of basketball, so you're going to lose that competition. Well, I was going to lose all of these competitions. I, I know. So I know. It, it, was, it was a real Kobayashi Maru here. This was a total no-win scenario. Yeah. The answer is, for me, is absolutely not. I could not do anything but the <laughs> Dustin Colquitt that's related to athletics at all. Right. Um, I might be better at podcasting than Dustin Colquitt. I don't might. know. Maybe. He might, he might be good at it. He's a pretty personable guy. Um, I would, I, I strategize this cause I, I was just going to ask you kind of off the cuff. Um, your answer is actually better than mine. Cause I was going to say, maybe you'd have to pick something that like the rest of them don't do on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say like kicking or something like that, but like, there's no chance that I could kick a football better than no, anybody. On they're the all going to so, smoke that. Ball. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they absolutely would smoke it. And so there's, there's just no winning at that. Uh, thank you for the question, Mitch, but no, that that's not, that's not going to be happening for us anytime soon. Um, I have two more that I'll go through really quick. One from our man, vitamin J, which player is Brett Veach going to draft that you will later regret questioning what he was thinking? So that's hard to say without knowing who exactly the Chiefs are going to draft, Vitamin J, but I will predict a position group. Yeah, I do think there's a decent chance that the Chiefs take a safety in this draft, and I think there's a decent chance that people will question that because we already have two great safeties and Dan Sorensen, who's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a guy. There. He's, he's a safety. Uh, and we have a lot of question marks at cornerback. Uh, so I think there's a, a decent chance that that happens. And I think there's a decent chance that if they do take a safety, especially if it ends up being their first pick, that people will be very confused by that. Uh, but that's one where I would say trust Brett Beach because for really the last couple of drafts, we've gone to the draft needing cornerback help. And we've said, eh. yeah. And we ended up with great safety play. I think the chiefs really look at it more as defensive back, and not necessarily so much as cornerback safety. Um, certainly with their guys that are playing nickel, you know, guys like Tyron. Well, I mean, Badger um, plays a ton of corner. He does and is very, very good at it. I mean, that was something that when when Badger came and signed, people were saying he he wasn't going to be good if he was forced to play cornerback. But uh, really, he um, he he does a good job. I think if we if we end up with a safety, that's one where I just have to tr- trust Brett Peach. So I've got one more that's actually came slid uh, into my DMs. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't encourage people sliding in my DMs to get into the mailbag, but this was a good question. Uh, from Sam McDonald at smcdonald333, is there a possible trade package you would consider for Mahomes, and what is it? This is the one that I wanted to end on. Uh, we, we workshopped this today on Gchat. Obviously, the answer is no. But the long answer is, if I was ever going to consider a trade package for Patrick Mahomes, it would have to meet some very specific criteria for me. First off, if you're trading Mahomes, you need a quarterback. So if you just said, I want your next six first round picks, that doesn't do it for me because you don't know what quarterbacks are going to be be available and you don't know what picks those are going to be. You know, they're going to be in the first round, but you don't know where in the first round they're going to be. And if you want a top quarterback in any draft, you need the first pick of the draft. So it starts with, the first overall pick in a draft that has a very clear quarterback prospect at number one. So this year that would work with Joe Burrow. So let's, let's use the Bengals as an example. So I say, okay, you want Pat Mahomes, Cincinnati, you're going to give me the first overall pick. I'm going to take Joe Burrow. In addition to that, I think you have to look at roster construction. So 
I don't really view, obviously six first round picks would be great, but you're really looking at one first round pick six years in a row. So a first round pick six years from now, isn't going to help me. I mean, that's after I've already paid Joe Burrow or whoever this hypothetical quarterback is don't really, doesn't really help me. What does help me is to have a lot of picks in one or two draft classes right next to each other. So I can really stack good players, uh, do kind of like a Seahawks situation with the Legion of boom, you know what the Patriots do where they throw picks at the wall every year. So in addition to the number one overall pick Cincinnati, you're going to give me every draft pick from the 2020 draft, every single pick, I get all of your draft picks. So <laughs> I have my five. Now I'm going to add Joe Burrow and then I'm going to add all of your other picks, which are at the start of each round. I don't know exactly how many picks Cincinnati has probably quite a few. I now have, you know, whatever, like 13 draft picks. I can trade up. I can trade down. I can get some more impact players. Uh, I've got a lot of salary flexibility because all of those people are on rookie deals. So now I can pay Chris Jones. I can keep him around. I can build around rookie contract Joe Burrow. And that still is obviously not going to be enough because we're talking about the best player who ever lived. So in addition to that, you're going to have to give me all of your draft picks in 2021, literally every single one. I want them all, all through the sixth round. And then you're also going to have to give me probably your first rounder in 2022 and that's where we kind of start the conversation. So we'd be looking at the number one overall pick. You're also trading with, and this is important, you have to trade with a team that is bad yeah. and is always going to be bad. Because if you trade, I mean, like, whatever, the Patriots called, called me up and said, we're going to give you our next six first-round picks to Pat Mahomes. You've got Pat Mahomes and Bill Belichick. Like, we're those picks gonna are going to be – our next six yeah. picks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm not doing it, Bill. I, I'm not falling for that because – if we unite Bill Belichick and Pat Mahomes, those Ooh. picks are going to be like in the 20s or 32, 32 every year. 32 every year, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so, so if that doesn't help me. I'm not going to get a quarterback to replace Pat Mahomes. I'm going to trade with a historically inept franchise. They're going to give me the number one overall pick. I'm going to take Joe Burrow. He's going to be throwing to Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. I've got Chris Jones. i got Frank Clark. i got Badger on defense. i got a buttload of picks for the next few years. I still wouldn't do it. Yeah, I was going to say, you're still saying no to that trade, but it's I still wouldn't do it. not insulting. But it's interesting. It's interesting. Well, thank you, everybody who contributed. We will be back again next week. As I said, as we teased, we're going to try to do a little draft reaction. We'll do maybe uh, maybe a couple of mini pods if we can get that done and, uh, you know, just blast out some lightly edited stuff, uh, you know, for mass consumption right after the draft. And it'll be great. Mm-hmm.